Well, good morning. I hope everyone's doing well, uh, and I hope you are having a great Labor Day weekend. Uh, I went dove hunting yesterday. Did anyone else go dove hunting? Anyone? Hold your hand up high. Two of us in the room. Do not worry if you're animal rights activists. We killed nothing. So uh, they, they weren't flying. So some of you are thinking my prayers have worked. Get rid of all the hunters. Uh, but uh, I, Saturday of Labor Day weekend is opening day of dove season. And, and we, I usually go somewhere to try to have some dove soup or dove fillets or whatever you want to make. Uh, how many of you have never eaten dove? <laughs> Chris, we got some work to do, buddy. We got a lot of dove to kill. Uh, so I don't know what you do on your Labor Day weekend. It's funny. We call it Labor Day when we try to not work or do whatever. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to be here this, this weekend, especially today, to, uh, to preach We've, we've been talking about things that you already know. Now, sitting right beside you is probably somebody that obviously knows a lot because they tell you. Uh, if you're married, your spouse is never wrong, are they? Just ask them. Uh, they are rarely wrong. We know a lot. If you have a teenager sitting beside you, they're the smartest person in the house. Just ask them. You're a complete idiot, okay? Uh, so then when they hit like 25, all of a sudden you become a genius again. Uh, so we all know a lot of things. So when we talk about something that you already know, it's not a knowledge problem that we're trying to address. It's an obedience problem. Uh, and when we talk about the Bible and what we're going to read today, as a Christian and as Celebration Church, we believe all of the Bible is true. Amen? From cover to cover. We know it is true. Now, you might come in and say, well, that's a big claim. I'm just here. I'm a skeptic. I'm checking things out. Or you might be saying, well, I don't know if it's all true. Well, I, I, let me make a big statement saying this. It's either all true or non-true. Either the Lord is Lord of all, he's not Lord of all. We talked about that last week. So we start from that position. In, the, in week one, we talked about, hey, everybody, the Bible says that everybody already knows that God is real. He's revealed enough to them for their condemnation. But the reason that we preach, the reason that we send missionaries, the reason we become missionaries in our workplaces, in, in our school, is people have enough for their condemnation, but they don't have enough knowledge for their salvation. Uh, and that's why we preach the gospel. We preach the good news. And the Bible says that, and we believe it. We believe that everybody has a, a, a precondition, a knowledge that God exists. But they, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, they suppress the truth. So last week, we unpacked some more things that you already know. We, we already know that we should love our neighbor. We talked about who is our neighbor. If you missed any of those messages, you can go online at celebrationlive.org. You can go to our Facebook page and look at those or go to our YouTube page. Today, we're going to talk about this. I already know, or you already know, if I was to say this, do you know that you should run to God for everything? What would you say? Yes. I already know that. Well, I'm glad that we know it. Let's break some stuff down. If you've got a Bible, open up to John chapter 5. We're going to go through one, verses 1 through 12 and just break those down. We'll look at some other scriptures uh, and talk about that because you and I already know that we should run to God. But if you look, if we uh, had the GPS coordinate, uh, coordinates of your life and every time you ran to something and went and did something, it would drop a pin in your life, how many of those spiritually or emotionally and maybe even physically would find you running to God. We run to so many things in our society, and it's actually socially acceptable even in the church that we have little habits and hang-ups and addictions that we run to that we depend upon and we replace God. We're actually really today going to talk about idolatry. Idolatry, putting something in place of God. Now, I want to read John chapter 5. We're going to read the first six verses. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. 
Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called, everybody say, Bethesda. Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five cover colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the lame, the, uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learning that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I want to let that question just, in fact, if you're taking notes, just write this down. What do I want? See, in the age of no modern medicine, when we look at this, the author is John, one of the disciples, when he writes this, there's no modern medicine, medical care was scarce, and disease and sickness was rampant. When we, we think about the context of Jesus asking this man this question, this man was probably thinking, what in the world is going on? In Jerusalem here, in this particular context, we hear about this pool. There was two pools right here in Jerusalem. One, Siloam, and one is Bethesda. The, and in this pool, there were actually two pools, a higher pool and a lower pool. And tradition in Jerusalem at this time would be when the waters were stirred, it would be an underground spring. And when the waters start to stir, people thought that an angel would come and stir the waters and the first person into the waters would be healed. Could you imagine the chaos? All the sick, all the, the injured, everybody that's dealing with some type of physical ailment is brought to this pool in this particular community in the morning and they sit there all day watching the pool and when the waters would stir, they would rush to the pool and depending upon the severity of your condition, you either got to it quickly, and they believe the first person who got in the pool would be healed. So Jesus asks them this question. He walks up to this man. For 38 years, he had been an invalid. And he walks up to him and says, do you want to get well? So what do you want? God's coming to you today. And he's saying, do you want to get well? And I, I changed the question just a little bit because I want us to see that what do we want? Because we go after what we want. We follow what we want. We believe what we want. See, when you and I need something or we have a desire for something or we're going through something, we go to our Bethesda. This man is laid on a mat at a pool that superstition and tradition says if you get in that pool, you can be healed. When we go through things, when we struggle, we'll break this down a little bit more later, but we, our Bethesda, our healing, we're sitting at our pool, every one of us. Some of it comes in a bottle form. Some of it comes in a pill form. Some of it comes in a 70-inch plasma screen form. Some of it is social media. But our pool, our healing pool, what we run for when we're struggling in our life is sitting there before us. Let me say this. When we run to anything, it's because of our desire or need for something. Why do you eat? Because you're what? You're hungry. Anytime you go to something, if something gets you up or in the chair, the reason that you're there is you need something. After work, men would like to come home and they like to throw up their feet. And my son is already picking up something from me. I'm a sire. I go, <sighs> and he does it all the time. He'll go, <sighs> and Angie goes, he gets that from you. Why? Because I go to that. I, I want relief. See, we live in a society that even amongst Christians, we go to something other than the Lord Jesus Christ for our healing. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm talking generally. You're just tired. You run to something to get untired or you're depressed or you're struggling and you run to something. 
And often the something that we run to is as far away from God as we can get. Some of us, when we go on vacation, when we go on vacation is to get away from even God. When God is saying, what you're looking for and what you're running to, you will not find. But what you're looking for, if you will come to me, you will find. So let me ask you a question. When you're tired, when you're depressed, when you're excited, anxious, afraid, stressed, what do you run to? Everything that we run to will eventually play out physically. All of us have sinned. The wages of sin is what? Death. So we ran to sin. Our forefathers through Adam, the sin, sin was passed on. But even if the sin gene and the sin was not passed on from father to son, from father to daughter, you would have still sinned. My son is now reaching my face and ripping my lip off. And he thinks it's funny. And I'm going, stop it. And he laughs. He's a little sinner. That's all right because I have a bigger Savior. And I'm not worried about it because I see all of us. And I see that the grace of God comes, came upon my life. And I believe he will come upon all of our lives and help us. But see, you take the, the nature of God as a father and me as one of his sons. The same way that Cade is my son. If Cade cries, I don't look at him and go, figure it out. You're on your own, buddy. But see, we, as we get older, even as we get, uh, grow in our walk with the Lord, we depend upon him less. When God is wanting us to be like the child who is completely codependent on him for all things. The saying, God helps those who help themselves, is actually against Scripture. Come to me, he says. We should be so codependent upon God. People say, well, God's just a crutch. No, he's a wheelchair. But we compartmentalize our lives in our work or the way that we parent or our marriage or our school. All of a sudden becomes something that we run to and run away from God. And that's idolatry. And idolatry is sin, and sin separates, and something dies every time you sin. Every lack that we feel, every desire that we have always leads to idolatry if you don't run to God. You cannot run from God in any area of your life and not commit idolatry. The second commandment, which is always the result of the of disobeying the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. When we put another god before God, we make an idol out of it and we worship it with our life. We run to it for, with our desires and our yearnings. Addiction, food, media, you name it, it becomes the thing that becomes our God. So Jesus looks at this man and says, do you want to get well? What do you want? What do I want? And he, go, he goes on to say this. The, the man replied in verse 7. He says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. When you run to the alcohol or the pills, you, you too have excuses for doing it. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. There's something that you excuse in your life when you neglect your children or you neglect your wife or you work too much or you don't work enough. When you disobey your parents, there's an excuse that you have inside of you. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Jesus looks at this man and says, do you want to get well? And what does the man do? He has an excuse. Well, I would be well, but I can't get to the water. I sit on this mat all day. I can't get to the water. He doesn't get it. God is standing before you and he's saying, do you want to get well? And we go, well, I just, I just need a drink, okay? I just need a vacation, okay? Now, a vacation isn't a bad thing. But what are you running to when you vacate? Are you running from God? 
See, we don't see ourselves as committing idolatry often. But that's what it is. This man looked at this pool, and he believed it brought him healing. Well, Brian, are you saying that I shouldn't go to the doctor? Absolutely not. God allows technology and allows us to understand more in modern medicine. Guess what? At the end, God is still the healer. The doctor can't help you in any way outside of the sovereign hand of God. He can be an atheist, and it's fine. You can have an atheist doctor. Before you go in and have surgery, you don't go, are you a Christian? Now, you may. You may be witnessing to your doctor, but what you want to know, did you go to school? <laughs> so those things in and of themselves aren't idolatry, but where, does, where do you start? Where did it, does it begin? So when the, the invalid said, I have no one to help me in, I, I've got all these excuses of why I'm not healed. So write this down. The, the thing that we need to do is identify my lack of full devotion. Identify your excuses. Let me give you one. Outside of intentionally planning out and making a schedule, do you think that the body of Christ should be at a local church weekly, yes or no? Yeah, I mean, heck, we've gone from, if you look in Acts 2, every day they met in the temple courts. I mean, we could have a daily thing going on. Do you know that the average attendance of an evangelical, Bible-believing, professing Christian is like 40%? Only 40% of all the opportunities that arise... Half of this year, less than half of this year, if you are typical, you will be in this room. Now, you, you say, well, what if I said, well, I I'm only going to be here 40% of the time. You say, well, no, you, uh, you get paid by the church. Do you know I come here every week not because I get paid to, but because I love my family? Now, if it takes a paycheck to get you here, it ain't happening. <laughs> we don't have that many paychecks. So maybe if, never mind, we'll move on. <laughs> identify my lack of full devotion. So identify those excuses in your life. Listen to what Paul said to the, the church in Corinth. Because he, he, he addressed some excuses. Paul says this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to men. Everybody say no excuses. When your kid, when your children sin, there's no excuses. Well, they hit me first. Stop looking at me. <laughs> when you sin and I sin, there's really no excuses because God has given us his spirit. And if we do the simple thing of follow Christ, we won't walk into sin. But Paul is saying, I know that you struggle with sin, and I know that you sin, but here's some things I want you to think about. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, not your endurance, not you. You're not faithful. I'm not faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, that does not say God will never put anything on you that you can't handle. Let me tell you, God will crush you. Read Hosea 6. Either tear it out of your Bible or believe it. He says that he will injure us, but then he will bind up our wounds. God will take you through something. One, to make you stronger. Two, to allow people to watch how you react to it. And three, to see if you will bring him glory through it. Everybody hurts. Most of the pain that we are going through personally is pain that we bring upon ourselves in our idolatry. We had an excuse. We sat on our mat. We sat in the thing that crippled us, and we stared at a pool that could never heal us. We stared at a pool that will never get us out of debt when God has told us how to manage our money. We stared at a pool that will never help us out physically when God has told us to take care of our body physically. And not commit gluttony and not bring things into our temple that shouldn't, we shouldn't do. 
So I need to identify my lack of full devotion. I mean, I'm constantly, the more I walk with the Lord, the more messed up I feel. <laughs> I'm going, golly, the closer I get to you, Lord, the more issues I see that I didn't even know I had. Man, I was golden until I got married. <laughs> Marriage will, will be a mirror in your face. God will use your spouse to 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 sanctify you, to purify you. Uh, one pastor once said, marriage is more for your holiness than it is for your happiness. <laughs> but holy people, people who live to be holy, become joyful. They move past the temporary pleasure of happiness and they're filled with joy. I'm glad that I've got issues and my wife constantly is able to see them. She sees them way more than I do. Just ask her. Honey, am I ever wrong? Yeah, all the time, right? Do I think I am? No. <laughs> so what does God do? God helps me walk in that holiness because I'm married. And I've I, I got to identify my lack of full devotion. That's why the church is important. This is why you should be in a life group. Our life group semester is coming up. You need to go on Realm and sign up for the group link. And we're going to have chili and ice cream. And you need to bring chili and ice cream. A lot of ice cream. Why? Because a life group helps you get rid of the excuses in your life. Because you see, there's somebody else in your life group that's got through it. And besides, Philippians says, do everything without arguing or complaining. So you can't really have excuses anyways. If you believe the Bible. Well, Brian, that doesn't even sound like that's a real person. Well, we, we serve the God-man, Jesus Christ, and he lives inside of us and empowers us. But Paul says, nothing has seized you except what is common to man. But when you're tempted at the end of the verse, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There's always a way out. There's no excuse to fall into sin, but we do. That's why we confess, which means to agree. That means we agree with God. There is no excuses. What I did was wrong. I sat on my mat and I looked at the pool looking for my healing. I got drunk. I'm addicted to this. I work too much. I hide and I bury myself in work. I neglect my husband. It is wrong. I talk back to my parents. I'm smoking pot. I'm not. I'm do th I do these things and they are, everybody say, wrong. Why are they wrong? Because a holy God said they were. And if he is God, and he is, he has a perfect plan for your life. His plan is better than yours. Simple logic. You know why it's better than yours? You are not God. You're not even a God. You're a flawed man, a flawed woman. See, many people attempt to run from God, and they're looking to get only what they get from God. Let me say that again. Many of us are running from God, and we're looking to get only what we can get from God. Think about it. You run to the alcohol when you're depressed. When God says that he can be your joy. And this is an antidepressant. You run to the pills. You run to the food. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life. When we run to those things. When we run away from people and relationships. And God made you for community. We, we fall into the trap of Satan. Of him trying to get us to have another idol in our lives. Something that we worship that's insufficient. God is sufficient for all your needs. Let's look at a few more verses. Proverbs 26, 11. Listen to this. I'm sure this is one of your memory verses, and you read it for encouragement all the time. As a dog returns to his vomit. Don't you love that verse? It's so poetic. So a fool repeats 
his folly. The Bible says, if you keep getting angry over and over and over, you know the results. It's the same, blah, and then you see the dog, stop that. You're like, God. The Bible says you and I are the same way when we continue to go back to the pool that cannot heal us, to the anger, to the drugs, to the, to the neglect, to whatever it is. You, you know your list. If you never sat down and wrote your list, you should do it. It would be shocking. What things do I often replace God with? Netflix binging. Okay. Guess what? Socially acceptable will kill your relationship with God. Psalm 16, verse 4 says, Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. Troubles multiply when you sit on your mat at the pool. Especially when God is saying, Do you want to get well? Look at God and say, Yes, can you help me? And he'll go, Yes, I can. It says, I will not take part in their, lot, in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. God's not going to say out loud your little habit or hang up to give it any authority in your life. He speaks the name of Jesus, the one who set you free, the one who paid for your sin, the one who broke all of your chains. So why, why do we go to sin? Well, well, that's a good question. We want the things God promises without God. And sin will give you a little sliver of pleasure. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. If you continue to, you know, like, there's, when a child sticks something in the outlet, they've never been shot before. But they have felt the, the adrenaline of disobedience. Like, don't do it. Don't you do it. Don't, ah, ah, you know. Well, what, what do we chase after? Well, you end up in pain at the end of indulging in sin. We all do. It leaves us in pain. But that journey of temporary pleasure up to it. And we, we go to sin when we want things that God promises, but we don't want God. Jesus went on to say to this man, John, and we'll go back to that John 5 passage. Then Jesus said to him, everybody say, get up. Get up. Let's say it again. Everybody say, get up. get up. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, this is a ridiculous statement. This man for 38 years has been laying there. And Jesus said, do you want to get well? He's got excuses. And then the next thing out of Jesus' mouth is a command of obedience. Walk away from your idol. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, one of my favorite sayings ever is there's only one kind of obedience, and that's instant obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. At once, the man was cured. Now, Jesus, uh, the Lord's promises, Jesus' promise to him was instant and he gives us a chance to respond instantly too. He picked up his mat and walked away. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Write this down. I've got to walk into God's remedy to my enemy. I know the pool. I know whatever that is, if it's partying, if it's adultery, if it's pornography, whatever your pool Bethesda is. Society will tell you, and often the enemy will tell you, you cannot be healed if you keep walking to that, if you keep going for that. We've got to walk into God's remedy to my enemy. That is the enemy. Your sin is the enemy. It is the enemy to God. Jesus said it really clear. He said, if you are not for me, you are against me. So there's no middle of the ground halfway Christians. We're either God's enemy or we're his follower. 
So you might say, I don't, I don't think, Brian, I'll ever be healed from what is keeping me from full devotion to God. I don't think I can get rid of this in my life. Well, I don't believe that you believe that. Because you at least believe in temporary healing. That's what alcohol does. It makes us forget things. This is why we blow our top because it gives us this sense when we feel less than or we feel uh, maybe our pride or our ego needs to be filled. We get this temporary healing in a sense when we sin. This small little glimpse of healing. So you believe in healing, otherwise you would quit running to sin to get your pleasure. Because what is pleasure? It's relief from pain. You believe in healing, but maybe you've settled for something temporary. When there's a Savior who came and He gives us everything that we need. See, we will never reach the place of God until we walk away and we run from the place He has called us from. We'll never reach the place God has called us to unless we run from the place God has called us from. He's called you. And let me tell you this. Let me encourage you. He's empowered you to walk away from whatever that is. I know you've become dependent upon it for generations. Your parents fought that way. Your friends drank that way. This is how society takes care of all of their needs. But you cannot... End up in the place God has called you to unless you run from the place God has called you from. Is anybody hearing me? God is calling you from that and to himself. But guess what? It's on his timing when he says, get up. You get up. Otherwise, God will let you just sit there. Go ahead. Believe that's going to fix it. If your wife feels neglected and you believe that more money is going to fix it, it won't. She needs a man of God, not a hard worker. Do you know that a man of God will be a hard worker? Does anybody hear me? I need to, uh, yes? Okay, all right, just seeing if I'm off base here. But some of us, we neglect our families and we run to these things. Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 3. He says, What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? What was Isaiah doing? I was, Isaiah was saying, Hey, life is going to get tough and you will run to your God every time. Where you run will be your God. And I know some of us, it's just a matter of learning a new discipline. Some of us, just like when things are tough, we just want to go to sleep. You know, we, we, we say things like this all the time. And there's nothing wrong with sayings, but we often have these little catchphrases and these little habits that we do. Like some of you say, well, I can't be awake without coffee. Well, you're awake when you say that. It's just a phrase that you've learned. And some of us are just like, I just, need, I just need a nap. I just need a drink. I just need some space. And if you don't, in those things, run to God, you will be running from God. So if you need some space, you better be running to God. Otherwise, space will become your idol. And Isaiah said, what are you going to do on the, the day of disaster? When it's come, because it's coming, something is going to get tough. Your boss is not going to be not a jerk tomorrow. Well, you're off probably, so maybe he won't be. Unless you're working, then that proves it. He is a jerk, you know. But what do you do when he is that way? Where do you run? Do you find your help in the Lord? Well, listen to what Jesus said because Jesus says this to us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love that. Then he goes on to say, and this might blow your mind because it blows mine. God is not limited in strength, but Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, what's Jesus saying? Jesus saying, if you put on my yoke, that means you're with me, and I can carry anything. But if you carry your yoke, you're on your own. Because you can't get, carry the yoke of God without God. And there's nothing that God can't carry, but there's much, many things you can't. And it shows it shows often in your life. It always manifests into something that will kill something in your life because that's what sin does. The psalmist said, David wrote this in Psalm 119, verse 32. He says, I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. So David understood, hey, if I want freedom and if I want to be able to run, I'm going to stay in the path of God. I'm going to study the Bible. We talked about that a lot last week. You've got to love the Word of God more than you love your novels and more than you love your Netflix and more than you love your Hulu or whatever it is that you do, more than you love sitting on the porch drinking coffee. You've got to love the Word of God. In fact, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you do have a potential to love the Word of God because that's what He wants. Just write this down to read when you get home. But when you start thinking about walking into God's remedy to my enemy, I want you to go home and read Psalm 32, just the whole psalm. That's, your home, that's some homework that I want you to, to, to take back. But just think about it in this part of the sermon. Just This is God's remedy to your enemy. The enemy is anything that takes you away from God. That is the enemy. The anything that you're running to for, for your healing from whatever you're struggling with. Let's continue to see how this story pans out in Bethesda. John chapter 5 verse 10 says this, And so the Jews said to him who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man, he's like, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? Do you know that when God calls you out of, off your mat and away from your idol, that people will watch and people will ask? And that's often why we will stay on our mat because just think of this situation. This man, 38 years, had been laying there. Jesus tells him to get up. Can you imagine this? He's, he's laying on the mat, probably something like this. I don't know. And Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. This whole place is full of people. I would have been like... Pfft. But the man did it in front of everyone. It was public. He couldn't hide it. Everybody knew that he wasn't pulling a, a, a prank for 38 years. And then he stands up in front of everybody and it caused a stir. And I'm sure the religious leaders at that time who were religious, they had no relationship with God. All of a sudden they get mad because you're not supposed to pick up your mat. And they may turn a healing, somebody who has been running from God who didn't understand a relationship with God, all of a sudden encountered God, received their healing, and all of a sudden they say, you're not supposed to pick up your mat. When you start following God in full devotion, people might say, well, you know, that, all that religious stuff, I believe in God. And they'll start to minimize this star-breathing God. And you might start thinking, well, maybe I should just lay back down. Because when I stand up and I walk in the freedom God has given me, people are going to ask questions. What's up with you? Now, some of you, you already cray-cray, okay? People already ask questions like, what, what's, what's up? But there's, there, there's a whole nother level. Even Paul said this. For some of you who feel a little bit crazy about Jesus, Paul said this. He says, if I'm crazy, it's for Christ. But if I'm sane, if there's anything normal, it's for all of you. So you can handle it. And I do, I, sometimes I do feel a little over the top, but then I think about this guy who could, it was over the top for him to stand up after 38 years fully healed. 
I mean, it's going to turn some heads. It's going to start some conversations. I'm pretty sure people talked about him behind his back. And I'm pretty sure if you are bright, a bright light for Christ, and you love as Christ loved the church, your wife, and if you give your life on behalf of your friends and you serve people for the glory of God in your workplace or in your school, people will talk about you. It's easier socially to lay on your mat. I promise you. It's easier to get drunk with your buddies. It's easier to neglect your family. Apparently, bow season starts next week. And for next week till December, every waking hour that you're not working, you're in the woods and neglect your family for the next three months. It's easy to do that because guess what? You're a man. I've got a hobby. I could be doing worse things. Stop with the excuses. Put down your idol. Enjoy hunting. Enjoy the outdoors. But don't neglect the things God has called you to, to have your hobby. See, we got to prepare. So write this down. Prepare for questions to my change. This man had to do that. I was, uh, I'll try to share this story quickly. This is my second year in ministry, and uh, our, st- our student ministry is growing like crazy. And one of the, the students that graduated, her father wanted to throw, she went to Fred T. Ford High School. Her father wanted to throw a party, but her father wasn't a believer, and he used to let all these high schoolers, like three or 400 high schoolers, show up at their house and just drink and party, and just, it was crazy. And her father saw like just a dramatic change in her life, but when she graduated, he says, "Um, I want to throw you a party like old times. And she loved her dad, but she didn't know what to tell him, and he was going to throw the party anyways. And she says, and she, we, she was at my house, and there was about 15 people in my house. She says, I said, well, are you going? She says, not unless y'all go with me. There'll be so many people there. We can share the gospel with everybody, but I'm not going in that situation because I don't want to go back to what I used to be. Well, I'm standing at this party. I've got a solo cup full of sundrop only sundrop because that's what we drink back in Alexander County. It's hard to find up here. I don't, y'all need to change that. It would help my wife out. Diet sundrop is all she drinks. We're standing around the fire and I'm standing there with my solo cup and a guy that I used to party with years before came and stood beside me and like, what's up McDevitt? What you doing? I was like, nothing. And I knew that if I led with, oh, I'm a, I'm a full-time pastor in ministry, that the conversation would shut down. We talked for a while, and I just was sharing just my encounter with God. And he said, well, what are you doing now? I said, well, I'm in ministry full-time. He's like, and he's like three sheets in the wind. He's like, man, that's so awesome. And we're talking, and I'm just sharing my faith with him. And then all of a sudden, there's probably like, 40 people around this fire. He said, hey, everybody, I need to let you know something. I'm so proud of McDevitt. He's changed his life. He's got his life right with God. And he's a full-time pastor. Within the next two minutes, it was me and him only standing (laughs) at that fire. See, the second people see your light... But see, what they're running to when they've got that solo cup in their hand, they're trying to run to exactly what you have. And they'll never find it in the bottom of a cup or in another relationship. They'll never find it. So you've got to be prepared for questions to your change. And the answer needs to be God. It doesn't need to be, oh, I'll just become a great steward of money. God grabbed you by the head of the hair and said, look, be a good steward. It's all mine anyways. And you're like, you're right. It's all yours. How do you want me to spend it? When God mends your marriage back together, don't say, well, I just read more self-help books. I hope it's because you repented to the, the, the glory of God and he helped you. Listen to what Paul said. We'll, we'll end with this and one more point. 
Philippians chapter 3, listen to the way Paul talked. Because he had to give a reason. He used to be a Pharisee that killed Christians. And Jesus grabbed his heart. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love that line. God grabs you. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet have to have taken hold of it. And he's talking about just the full glory of God. But one thing I do, forgetting. Everybody say forget. Forgetting what is behind, walk away from the pool and straining towards what is ahead. Pick up your mat and walk towards God. I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take a such view of things. And then on some point, you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. So right now, if you're sitting there and you don't believe that you can walk away from your pool, God is going to make it clear to you in Jesus' name. Amen? He says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Paul is saying, I've come and taught. I've wrote letters. You're being under teaching. Obey what you know. You're going to figure out some more, but don't disobey what you already know. He says, join others in following my example, brother, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as often as I told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. They stay at the pool. Enemies of the cross of Christ, their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. This man walked away, and he had to give all glory to Jesus. So write that down. Give all credit to Jesus. John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So you got to give all credit to Jesus. At the end of the day, he did it. We're not going to read this passage, but read it later. Psalm 121. I'm going to read the first verse of it. I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where are you looking? Because you're walking where you're looking. And I want to, every week we want to take a next step. And this one's really simple. I'm not a rocket scientist or trying to be clever. But our next step is I will run to God. I will run with God in all of my life. So get off your mat. Walk away from Bethesda, the thing that will not heal you. The thing that you keep running to every day. You run from God to it and run with God in all things of your life. God goes to work with you tomorrow. God goes to work with you on Labor Day on your day off. Don't check out from God tomorrow. He's created you for a purpose. Don't check out from God at school. Don't check out from God in the woods. Whatever it is that you're doing, don't check out from God. Because you will run to an idol that will never heal you. Run to something that will never give you what you truly want. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to say personally, I'm sorry that as I was preparing this message and even preaching it, you, your Holy Spirit, you Holy Spirit is just revealing things that I'm trying to get my healing from. Lord, you said that by you and to you and for you, all things are made. So Lord, everything that's not sin is made for us to enjoy. But Lord, if we enjoy them apart from you, then you say we've got an idol. Because you've made it clear in your word that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. So Lord, I pray right now in this room, whatever pool we're laying at, on our mat that represents our life, 
Lord, we're all crippled by sin, but you've come to heal us and set us free. Lord, I pray right now as we think of the words you said to this man whose name we don't even know. You said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. So Lord, do we want to be well today? Do we want to be well? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just convict us of the things that keep us from being fully devoted. Lord, our community is resting upon the devotion of your believers because, Lord, you have foreseen it and you have ordained it that we be the instruments and the voice of the gospel, the good news, that we be the light in the darkness. But, Lord, you didn't tell us just to go do it. You said you would do it in us. But if we keep laying at this pool, it won't happen in our lives. Lord, you'll use another church. You'll use another person. Because your will cannot be thwarted. But Lord, would you use us? May we run with you in all things of our life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's just stand to our feet. And as we sing, I want you just to press in and ask God to literally show you in your heart the idols that you've went to, the pool that you're laying at. And if you need to come to this altar and just repent, there's nothing special about this altar, but you might need to get up right now and walk and start walking somewhere because if you won't walk somewhere, you probably won't walk. If you won't be obedient to God in this room, you're probably not going to do it out there and Satan wins another battle in your life. And he has no right to because Jesus, the creator of all things, says that he casts Satan down and Satan flees at the name of Jesus. So let's just stomp on his little head in Jesus' name and walk in that freedom. If you need me to pray with you or Pastor Chris or anybody, uh, we'll do that.